Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, as always, Tyler Crawley. And I'm not going to lie, when we started the show right now, I just took a sip of water and I almost started choking on it. Oh, man, you would think I'm like an amateur in this business. I have no idea how to start a podcast, radio show, whatever it may be. All right, so it's Wednesday. We got some good data yesterday. We are going to start with new home sales. Everyone was talking about new home sales yesterday, and it wasn't good. (laughs) I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was not good. So new home sales for the month of July were well below what they were expecting. You know, it's most of the housing data that we're going to be seeing over the next, uh, I don't know, year or so is probably going to be somewhat negative unless something crazy happens with uh, the economy, recession hits, and the Fed has to lower rates, which could spur people to want to start buying again. We are going to see year over year and month over month declines. And so new home sales, not surprisingly, was down but it's how much it was down that everyone was talking about. So economists had projected, I think it was about a 2.5% drop and the actual numbers 126 So yeah, kind of a miss there for economists. They were only off by, you know, six times. It's Rookie mistake happens all the time here. Um, So the annual rate, the seasonally adjusted annual rate was 511,000, which was the lowest level since 2016. And we are now six straight months of declines Uh, year over year. It was an even bigger number as you can, well, probably guess down almost 30%, 29.6% from the same time last year. And as always, if you are looking for the silver lining, where do you look? Regionally is what I'm trying to get to. Where would you look to? That's right, the South. The South dominates once again, and this is despite the fact that they saw a 12% drop month over month. And they were the, I wanna say the least by far, but the reason that their drop, because you would think that the they would have a smaller drop than what was happening with the national numbers. It's because they make up so much of the national numbers that they're, what's happening in the South is going to be very, is going to have a, a much bigger magnitude on the overall nationwide number. And that is because in the month of July, 67% of all of the new home sales were in the South, 67%. That means the other three regions were sharing the other 33%. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. So the West was number two. They were at 19%. That's one fourth the size if you're keeping track at home. Uh, We have the Midwest was at 11%. That's one sixth the size. And then you have the Northeast last what do you think? If you can do the math in your head, you can figure it out. 3%. <laughs> That's 122nd of what is happening in the South. And here's what's crazy to me as someone who works in the mortgage industry. 
Like, it's slow. I mean, definitely compared to what had been happening these last two years, but it's also slow. I mean, I've talked to people, people who've been in the business for a while, decades, and they're like, yeah, this is pretty much the slowest that we've seen it since, you know, and it aligns with what I've what I've seen with the data from the Mortgage Bankers Association with regards to mortgage demand. I think the last report we saw was 2000, like June 2000, and that's what I've heard. And so it's been kind of a, a shock. There's no doubt about that. But what's amazing to me is so we're in the South. I'm in the South. And I'm seeing how slow it is. And we're doing 67% of new home sales. I mean, what is going on in the Northeast? How are you even in the real estate business in the North? Three, and I get this is just new home sales. I mean, obviously we have other data that we're going to be getting. I think we're getting, we're getting pending home sales later this week. Obviously there's existing home sales. And so a lot, you know, there's, there's a lot more than that, but I mean, my gosh, I mean, I just can't imagine what's, what's happening in the Northeast where the, the, the numbers are a fraction of what they are here in the South. And I am seeing how slow things are. And so it's like, man, what are they doing? <laughs> they got to have like a side hustle or something. Otherwise, they're just sitting around just like twiddling their thumb. <laughs> what are they doing all day? Uh, inventory levels. Obviously, that is one of the big factors. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast and the idea that, you know, we're going to see this just gigantic spike of inventory levels and it's going to lead to this crashing of the housing market. Well, you know, we, we debunked that yesterday. I mean, data from Redfin and Altos showed not only is inventory levels, well, Alto showed it zero increase week over week. Redfin showed a decline in inventory levels. And so, you know, inventory is a big number to watch. This, of course, is from July and new home sales. Inventory levels were up slightly. We're looking at just the numbers. We're talking about just the gross numbers. We're not adjusting for inflation or anything else. 1.5% 1.5% gain for the month. However, because the pace of sales dropped so dramatically, that had a much bigger impact on months supply. So, you know, they they look at, you know, how fast homes are selling, and then you can look at the inventory level and say, here's how many months of supply that we have. That number jumped 17% to 10.9 months which is the highest level since 2008. Not exactly the the best comparison. Uh, and once again, going back to the gross numbers, inventory levels are now up 26% from one year ago. So yeah, I mean, inventory levels are rising. We know that they're just slowing. And we talked about that yesterday. Now, what about prices? You would think that Home sales dropping 12%. Inventory levels are up to the highest level since 2008. We got to see home prices falling. Well, not really. And I mean, here's the reality about the new home sales report is it's not like a Case Shiller report or you know some of these other reports that look at home prices because this is just looking at the median sales price that happened in, in July. And then it looks at the average price as well. And... Do not look at these numbers because they, I mean, the whole time I've been reading these reports for over two years now, I mean, they fluctuate 
month over month, 10, 15% fluctuations I've seen because it, all it's really telling you is what's happening with sales that month. So if one, you know, one month, all of a sudden you're seeing higher end home sales or you're seeing low end home. I mean, it, it all of that's going to play a role and where it's happening. Is it happening in the South? Is it happening in the West? And so there's so many factors that go into this. This is not a good indicator of home prices. We're going to get that next week with the Case Shiller Index. This is a guideline but it is not a number to hang your hat on saying, oh, look, home prices are falling. And here's a good reason. So the median sales price was actually up 9.2% from July. (laughs) So a 9% jump, does that make any sense? That makes no sense. I mean, it just shows you that these numbers should not be used in that way. I mean, it's a guideline, but that makes no sense. I mean, sales dropped 12%, inventory levels are up 13%, or excuse me, 17%. But Home prices jumped 9%. That's, that's the stupidest thing ever. Um, to $439,400. And that is actually 12.5% higher than one year ago. Meanwhile, the average sales price was down 2% month over month and is now down 18% from the same time last year. And so you look at both those numbers and you realize just how bad they are at being any indicator of what is happening with overall home prices. Because, I mean, talk about a spread. You got one up 9.2% month over month, and then the average is down 18% from the same time last year. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. But here is the one takeaway from the report that I think is important. Robert Dietz last week, the chief economist over at the National Association of Home Builders, said when they released their report looking at home builder confidence falling below the break-even point, He said, quote, tighter monetary policy from the Federal Reserve and persistently elevated construction costs have brought on a housing recession. And I don't think anyone at this point can disagree with that. I mean, that seems pretty spot on that we are in a housing recession. I mean, you have the South seeing a 12% month over month drop and there's there's still 67% of what's happening nationwide. I mean, some of the other drops month over month were obviously bigger, but yeah, I mean, we're in, I I don't think there's any doubt about that. CNBC had an article yesterday that, you know, we're, we're, we're in a housing recession and that's not a crash and that's not even necessarily a correction yet. I mean, we're still seeing home prices grow. We're just seeing them slow. And I think it's, happening quicker than maybe we originally thought. And we'll, you know, we'll see. We got the Case Shiller report. And of course, that's a three-month lag. And so that's one of the, the downsides of the Case Shiller report. Is so we're going to know what was happening in, let's do the math here, May. <laughs> we'll know what's happening in May, which I think will be a good indication because that's when things really kind of started being more noticeable. I think in spring, people were maybe in denial, but I think by the beginning of the summer, Everyone's like, eh, okay, I think things are changing in the housing market. Now, there's no doubt that one of the big factors in everything that is happening with housing is what is happening with other prices, what's happening with the overall economy. Sure, housing is a big part of the economy, but it can be influenced by what's happening elsewhere. And we know that inflation has been out of control for what? Over a year now. And it's been wreaking havoc on people's pocketbooks. And that's been impacting 
their decisions, not only to buy household goods, but also with regards to housing. And there was a new report out from Freddie Mac that should be no surprise to anyone. But yeah, inflation is influencing the behavior of people in what they are buying. 96% of respondents indicated that price increases over the last 12 months have impacted their household spending. And 84% of respondents said they are concerned about an impending economic recession with 51% being very concerned and 33% being somewhat concerned. And also not surprising, people are borrowing more and they're saving less. Respondents reported putting less money towards savings, delaying essential and non-essential repairs or improvements to their property and increasing spending on credit cards to cover expenses because of higher prices. I mean, is anyone surprised that that's happening? I mean, we've seen it. We've seen that inflate or it's not inflation, excuse me, that the increase in credit card usage has been moving up rapidly these last few months. Now it's not as bad as some people want you to believe that it's like, Oh my God, we've never seen this before because a lot of times what people love to do for headlines, the clickbait culture that we live in is they'll look at, you know, the dollar amount and they'll look at the nominal dollar amount and they'll say like, Oh, look, look where it is. Look how crazy high it is. But a lot of that's because, well, you know, the impact that inflation has a dollar now is worth less than a dollar 10 years ago, especially a dollar 20 years ago. And so we, it's like box office numbers. You know, they have to adjust it for inflation because it's not going to give you a clear indicator. And usually when you're looking at economics, a lot of times you'll look at percentage, right? Percentage of GDP, percentage of, um, you know, household income, all of those factors. And when you put it in that context, the credit card increases aren't as scary as they look than when you're just looking at the dollar amount. So that's one thing to take into account, but it is increasing. There's no doubt about that. But let's look, because this is a housing podcast, let's look at the impact on housing. So the poll found that even though nearly 60% of renters have seen their rent increase last year, and over half of them saw a double-digit increase, that's a big increase for anyone out there that's renting. And rising prices and rates, unfortunately, have caused potential buyers to pull back. So even though their rents are going up, and in some cases they're going up, I mean, in a lot of cases, they're going up by double digits, people are still pulling back from potentially wanting to buy. And so what's the biggest factor? Well, 76 potential buyers said rising rents and rates were the reason they were less likely to buy a home. 44% citing prices, 32% citing rates, and then 29% said the inability to save for a down payment. Now, that's always kind of been on that list. Obviously, as home prices have risen, it's been harder to save for a down payment, but down payment's always been kind of an issue. But now rates in prices are clearly more of an issue over these last two years. Now, the good news is that nearly seven in 10 renters said that their wage increase was sufficient to cover their rent. So maybe that's why they're not seeing any urgency to move over to the buy side. Plus, as we talked about last week, that report from Consumer Affairs, what was it, 78% of people said that they were expecting the housing 
market to crash. And so if you think it's going to crash, why would you buy now? And so I think that's other factor because their wage increases are able to cover their increased rent. They're like, hey, let's wait it out for at least another year till we possibly get another increase. But here's the bad news. 57% believe they are extremely or somewhat likely to miss a rent payment in the future. So not exactly the best poll, I will say. And today's, you know, today's you just have those days, right? It's just, it's, it's not the best data. Um, but this is just basic economics. You know, when prices rise, particularly on essential products, it's going to squeeze out, especially non-essential items. But in some cases, it can squeeze out other maybe essential items that are less essential compared to the more essential items. Now, the good news for consumers is that many pundits have said that the worst with regards to inflation might be behind us. But it's important to remember that just because inflation starts falling off doesn't mean prices fall. They just stop rising. So if you think prices are too high and you have 0% inflation year over year, those prices are going to stay high. You need prices to fall. And no one is projecting that. I mean, you're, you're, we're looking at some items, you know, they're falling. I saw eggs the other day. I was very happy. A dozen of eggs was back to $2. <laughs> I was buying some eggs. I was like, oh, look at that. $2. That is awesome. I love seeing that. But, you know, other products are going to rise and fall as food prices tend to do. But for some of the bigger ticket items, you know, cars, rents, things like that, no one's projecting a big fall in any of those areas. And that is one of the unfortunate realities to falling inflation is that, sure, inflation holds off, but that price is still elevated. And as bad as that may be, here's the good news. At least we're not Britain. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, I think it was Citigroup essentially said that 18% inflation, that's where inflation was headed in the UK. 18%. <laughs> I would say Boris probably got out at the right time. He's like, he must have seen that. And he was like, all right, I'm out. Like, man, he left really quickly. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to preside over 18% inflation. That's that is not my bag. All right. Before we go real quick here, there was a great piece in the Wall Street Journal by Conrad Putzier talking about office space. And we've talked about that here on the show. I think so. Maybe a couple times. Uh, the well, one of the arguments I've heard is that there's going to be this sort of Armageddon for office space because there's all these offices that are still half full thanks to the pandemic, the work from home, uh, you know, explosion that we saw. You know, in, every day we hear a story about a company wanting people to come back to work. The employees are like, "We're not coming back to work. It's not going to happen." <laughs> so we'll see who wins this overall. But the reality is. The pandemic may have exposed the office space surplus, but it's actually been building for a decade. And that's that's what uh, Putzier gets to in their piece is they you know, I say their piece because I actually don't. I'm guessing Conrad's a guy. <laughs> I never like to guess anymore. <laughs> now that I say that, Conrad, that's 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 a guy's name, right? Um, so he writes over at the Wall Street Journal that America's office glut has been decades in the making. Real estate investors, brokers, and analysts say 
that U.S. U.S. developers, there we go, built too many office towers, lured by federal tax breaks, low interest rates, and inflated demand from unprofitable startups. What made problems even worse was landlords also failing to tear down or convert old, mostly vacant buildings to other uses at the same time. And they point out how really the United States is the only one kind of facing this problem. We have about 19% of office space vacant compared with 14% in Europe, I believe, or excuse me, 14% in the Asia Pacific region and 7% in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. And it's kind of a fascinating piece. Of course, it is in the companion newsletter, like everything else that we talk about here on the pod, which you can get to and sign up for. Or you can read the article on the website, whichever you want to do, marketsandmortgages.com. But we got to go. You guys, enjoy your Wednesday. We'll talk to you Thursday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.